1: just under two months away before the waterfowl season of 2020 2021 actually gets underway, and we we want to bring y'all another update as that uh, as those dates begin to begin to grow closer. We connected with some colleagues from Canada earlier in the season to bring you some updates on habitat conditions as they were unfolding in the spring, and now it's time to bring you another update with respect to habitat conditions in Prairie Canada specifically. And to do that, we're going we're gonna to go back to the person that has joined this podcast most frequently, Dr. Scott Stevens, Ducks Unlimited Canada's Director of Regional Operations for the Prairies and Boreal.
2: Scott, welcome back to the show. Happy to be here, Mike. Some of our colleagues might say, I'm on here all the time because I got nothing better to do.
1: They <laughs> may. Well, I'll let you sort that out with them. What I do know is that we're probably going to have to come up with some kind of jacket, you know, like they do for Saturday Night Live, where you become the uh, become a member of the Five Timers Club. Uh, I can't remember if this is your fourth or fifth or maybe even sixth a visit to the podcast, but we'll have to get some kind of jacket or decal or uh, you know maybe a nice pair of socks or something to uh, commemorate your frequent visits to the podcast. How's that sound?
2: Yeah, that sounds good. I'm I'm thinking maybe a nice Sitka jacket, and I'm a large tall. If you need my size,
1: yeah, I think you're maybe giving this podcast more credit than we deserve at this time. But uh, <laughs>
2: but I like, I like the way you're thinking.
1: So. um what does that mean? What do I get then? If we're, if we got to go that route, man, I'm going to get all sorts of outfitted. Yeah. Fame and glory. That, yeah. Right. Uh, okay. All right. Back to the matter at hand. It is July 15th as we are recording this and- I've heard some rumblings down here of some recent rain events that have uh, come across the prairies, and we wanted to touch base with you as our kind of source of go to information and figure out what all that amounted to. Uh, was it too late to impact nesting? Was it just in time to impact brood rearing? Uh, kind of give us an idea of what we've seen in terms of precipitation over the last couple of months and what it might mean for waterfowl production, just kind of speculating based on what we understand. Of how how that system works
2: sure yeah i'm happy to do that i would say sort of across the board across the canadian prairies may and even most of june was fairly dry um, and then like you described as temperatures begin to heat up we do begin to get some of those summer showers that move across and you know they can be spotty at times and it can be big systems that move across at times so you know, definitely in the early part of July, we started getting that probably late June. We had a little bit of that. And, um, you know, some of the rain events have been been pretty large. Like we had one go through southwestern Manitoba and dumped seven inches of rain, um, you know, in a few hours uh, that, yeah, that caused localized flooding. And in some of the areas that you've talked about, like Minotosa pothole country, that that's the area that got seven inches of rain you know, washed out roads, created all kinds of challenges. But what it did do was it filled up wetlands. So, you know, that coming in early July is probably too late to change much of the nesting effort, but definitely will improve conditions for brood rearing. So, you know, duckling survival, brood survival could be higher, um, but probably didn't change how many ducks we had breeding and re-nesting effort and those kind of things.
1: So you don't think any of those later nesting species like gadwall would have, uh, would have maybe taken advantage of that?
2: Most of the rain was probably still too late for that. Um, you know, gadwall are beginning to nest in June and I would say, you know, it it depends on the, the Canadian prairies are a big area. depends on where you're at, but, um, When I heard about most of the thunder showers and rain, most of that was coming a little later in June, so probably didn't have a big impact. But, you know, it it does have implications for root survival, um, has implications for setting the stage for what we go into winter looking like, you know, what soil moisture conditions are like and, you know, whether we have runoff next spring. So, you know we're we're always keeping track of those moisture conditions and, and
1: Scott let's unpack that a little bit in terms of what it means for brood survival what's the primary mechanism by what by, by which that's going to operate is it related to food is it related to reduced predation pressure do we know kind of mechanistically or or do we just kind of have some correlations between duckling survival and wetland availability and that's how we know these types of things
2: yeah i think the hard science is probably we have some of those correlations from you know, from studies that we've done. Um, But if I speculate mechanistically, I I think it's probably both because when we get those kind of rain events, we typically will have the shallow wetlands, um, seasonals and temporaries fill with water. Um, For dabbling duck broods, those are awesome brood habitat when they have water. Um, You know, many, many times they don't because those are the ones that tend to go dry as you go throughout the summer. But if they get rain, you know, those are full of vegetation. And when you flood them, you know, then they bloom with food. Um, you know, aquatic insects is what the broods are needing to to grow feathers and grow muscle. So, you know, they're looking for protein just like the hens are in the springtime. So that's what they're taking advantage of. And with all that flooded vegetative cover, um, you know, they they probably have more escape cover. and And we think brood survival rates or predation rates of broods, are lower so we have better survival.
1: We've talked on previous episodes with you and with other guests about just the remarkably low nest success rates that waterfowl have to contend with, especially some of the ground nesting species, uh, as well as then the duckling survival rates. And then when you think about the compounding of those rates in order to produce a fledged duck, it becomes remarkable that we can produce any ducks in a given year sometimes when you think about those numbers. So, any little increase in a survival rate that that kind of improved habitat conditions will give us we will certainly take you mentioned that this the, re- the rain that we did receive on the prairies is, was not likely to have stimulated a great deal of additional nesting to produce those eggs and then ducklings but it would have at least benefited the ducklings that had already been produced or the yet to be produced you know and benefit from those those additional habitats there what are you seeing and I don't know how much you've been across the, the landscape this summer, but what are you seeing or what are you hearing with regard to production? Uh, ducklings on the wetlands, or, or we, can we draw anything from what we're hearing? I, I know this is it's really hard to do that based on what we just see out of the windshield of a vehicle if we're traveling across the prairies. But anything kind of uh, come to mind as you think about what you've seen or heard this summer?
2: yeah it, it it's all sort of anecdotes from other staff that we have out in the field, but um what I have heard is you know they are seeing broods um across the landscape now um quite a few broods, which is good um what i have what I have heard is that they seem to be younger broods, so a little later hatches um so you know sometimes that's just the case. You know, you have conditions where nest survival may not be very good early on. So you don't have many broods and then the broods show up later where things improve. So that seems to be the story that we're hearing about this year. Um, But with the improvement in conditions across many areas for brood survival, you know, ducklings will be growing and doing their thing and trying to get on the wing for, you know, the rest of July and, and August. So having those conditions improve um is definitely is definitely a good thing and and will have impacts so you know we may not have had as many ducks breeding across the canadian prairies as we would have liked but you know at this stage that's that's the the best conditions you could ask for is that brood survival would be pretty good with with good wetland conditions and that's what we have
1: in some of our earlier conversations with your colleagues up there with DU Canada, I think I think it's fair to say that Southern Saskatchewan was one of the areas that was perhaps most parched, relatively speaking. It was driest. Did any of the rains that we're kind of talking about impact that part of the province, that part of the Prairie region?
2: Yeah, they they definitely got some rain. Um, I don't know if they got any of the big events that you know just completely filled up wetlands. Um, you know, if, if they did, it was probably pretty spotty. You know, I, I haven't heard reports of sort of widespread, um, you know, improvement of conditions across Southern Saskatchewan in particular. So, you know, the, the prairies are, you know, the Southern prairies are still, you know, they're, they're, they're improved from what we started, but still fairly dry. So, you know, usually conditions change dramatically. On on sort of a broad scale with, with winter precipitation and runoff in the springtime. So that's usually when we see a big change in those conditions. But yeah, there have been some thunderstorms, but that's not the area that I heard about, you know, saying, Oh my gosh, we got seven inches of rain, and you know, the world looks different now.
0: You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.
1: I might catch you off guard with this question, but given that you're a frequent visitor of the, of the show, I, you know I kind of feel like I have the liberty to do so. Have you, have you heard anything with respect to Arctic goose production this year? I know we don't have any researchers up there on the ground, but have you heard of anyone trying to make some inferences based on kind of what we're seeing with, with respect to uh, you know, remotely sensed images of ice breakup and temperature ranges and things of that nature? Have, has anyone tried to get a handle, a guess, at what production might be for Arctic geese?
2: i have I have not heard anything from anybody who really knows about that. Um, I do know you know from from the folks who do that work, they will say, you know if you look at the snow cover map in early June, that's a pretty good indicator of what you know at least the the nesting conditions will be like and how many birds will be able to nest cuz they have availability of nest sites and that kind of thing and
1: because you want the by by early june you would want that landscape to be snow free ice free right
2: yeah that's right and and i i was looking at those remotely sensed images of that you know that show snowpack across you know the the arctic areas and and it looked pretty normal in early June. You know, there was still some in the Eastern Arctic, still some snow, but much of the Western Arctic um, was, was snow-free by then. So, you know, it would be worthwhile to, to you know, get one of those experts on the show, like Ray Alisaskis or somebody like that. Um, but, you know, from, from the duck guy in the prairies, yeah. Um, you know, it, it seemed like it was snow, snow cover was pretty normal in June. So I I would say, you know, my guess would be not a disaster for Arctic nesting geese, but you know, we don't have a lot of information.
1: I want to switch gears a little bit here. Of course, we are, as I mentioned here in mid July and the coronavirus COVID situation is capturing everyone's attention and is influencing every aspect of our lives. And with the waterfowl hunting season, just on the horizon, many waterfowl hunters in the states are keeping an eye on what's going to happen with the Canada-U.S. border. Matter of fact, Chris Jennings, my co-host, and I just yesterday recorded an episode where we talked about this very thing, wildly speculative on our part in terms of what uh, what might happen if non-resident hunters are unable to travel into Canada this year due to these restrictions. Um, but... But with every passing day, it seems like something changes. And so uh, two or three hours after Chris and I recorded that episode, we saw a news release making some announcement. I don't know if it was an official announcement, uh, but it was uh, some sort of indication that there might be an extension to the current closure of the U.S.-Canada border. So on this day, July 15th, what do we know about the closure of the U.S.-Canada border?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you a little bit about that um, because I have been following that. Um, So essentially when, when sort of the world fell apart with the virus in the springtime, they did close the border to non-essential travel. So, you know, in that category fall, uh, falls things like traveling to go hunting and tourism and those kind of things. So they had closed it. I think maybe that was March 21st. And since that point in time, Um, basically they've just renewed that when we get close to that deadline for another 30 days. So it went, you know, April, May, June. Um, and then we were, we were working on a July 21st, um, closure. And then yesterday they extended that to August 21st. Um, now the other thing that I've learned in this process is there's kind of two things that really matter. There's the border closure, which obviously if that's closed, then folks from the U S couldn't come up to hunt, but there's also a, uh, sort of quarantine rule that is kind of separate from the border closure. So we could get in a situation where the border is open, but if the quarantine requirements are still in place of, if you travel in, you have to quarantine for 14 days. Um, that would probably mess most folks up unless they were planning on coming up and spending a month. And I know that, uh, you know, here in Canada, they've taken those quarantine requirements very seriously. I saw a news article where there were some uh, some Americans from Minnesota who traveled into Ontario. Um, they were allowed in. They didn't follow the quarantine requirements and the RCMP, um, you know, caught up with them and fined them $1,000 each and they were asked to leave the country. So they are taking that pretty seriously and I, I guess maybe... The other context that may be useful for folks is, uh, so in Manitoba, for example, since the virus started, so we have have about 1.4 million people here in the province, we have had 325 cases, and we only have four active cases right now, and we have nobody hospitalized. So you know the prevalence is pretty low across much of Canada. Um, we've not seen the outbreaks like we've seen in the U.S., and that's probably a result of we have lower populations. But even if you compare, you know, similar size populations, we're doing pretty well. So, you know, if I was to speculate, I would say, you know, while while the outbreaks are still happening in the U.S., they will there'll probably be a hesitancy to open that border to just, you know, to normal. Um, until things subside a little bit in the U.S., so I would I would not make solid plans to to travel up here in September for sure, um, but probably October either. But we'll see how that all plays out.
1: Yeah, and, and if there's anything that I have learned through my travels across the U.S. Canada border, my wife is Canadian, and so we we do that fairly often. Um, the the border patrol, the border crossing folks, they don't really play around. Um, so you you don't want to find right. yourself in a situation there where you have the RC, RCMP tracking you down uh, because they do have uh, they they have quite a bit of authority to kind of dictate what you can and can't do with respect to crossing that border, kind of going forward. And you know, waterfowl hunters like to make return trips, and so I certainly would not jeopardize that personally. Um, by taking those risks of of not following the quarantine if I I were to go there. But uh, but yeah, I I know a lot of people are keeping an eye on that and their plans are probably up in the air as you you described. So just another way in which things are changed. I have heard a lot of people argue that waterfowl hunting, that kind of tourism is essential. I don't know how far that argument would go, but (laughs) it would be nice if that were the case.
2: Yeah, well I I'd, I'd say we probably got some insight into that because, you know, probably equally important would be uh, you know, Americans coming up to fish in the summertime. Yeah. And and that has all been closed and shut down and, and it's had, you know, dramatic impacts on those lodges that that host uh fishermen. So, you know, I, I suspect it'll be the same, but yeah, worth a try. Hey, we're essential, right? That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um let's see Waterfowl season
1: begins there is it mid uh, oh no it's early September i think you were telling me in in Manitoba is that right
2: Yeah so for for Canadian residents it opens September 1st um and then usually for for American hunters it opens like the 24th of September so yeah so September 1st um you know People will be out there chasing birds, uh, really a- across the three prairie provinces. It opens then,
1: and then Saskatchewan, Alberta. Is it their 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 dates are a little differently, aren't they?
2: I think all of them open September first, um, and and actually, I I don't think there are non-resident or or for foreign restrictions, you know, f- for like American hunters in the other two provinces. I think that's unique to Manitoba.
1: Well, bottom line there is make sure if you if you do have if you are allowed to cross the border, make sure you do your own homework, check the season dates, check the quarantine restrictions, all those kind of things. But Scott, I appreciate your time today. That's probably all we want to we want to cover. We've covered the highlights on habitat conditions, how they've changed through the summer and I we mentioned previously this additional rain is certainly welcome it's going to benefit some some um, late hatched broods and that's always a good thing the hunting season is just right around the corner certainly there in in canada and then here in the states mid-september some of the teal seasons begin to open so we will all be looking forward to that and i'm sure we'll have some episodes related to that as people begin to anticipate this this forthcoming season Uh, It will be a different year, regardless of what happens with respect to any kind of border closures or or openings, but uh, we'll all get through this, and and I I know everyone's going to look forward to this fall winter season with with a lot of eagerness because we've been cooped up in many ways for much of the summer, and so – Uh, the hunting season whether it be waterfowl or any other kind of uh, hunting or outdoor activity is certainly going to be a welcome respite for what we've been enduring and so encourage folks to get out and take advantage of those opportunities where they have so uh, Scott with that we're probably going to wrap this up and thank you very much for your continued cooperation here with the Ducks Unlimited podcast and for
2: bringing us all this great information. Absolutely Mike happy to join and uh, I look forward to getting my jacket.
1: (laughs) All right just uh, keep an eye on that mailbox.
2: Okay, sounds good.
1: A very special thanks to our guest on today's show, Dr. Scott Stevens with Ducks Unlimited Canada. He's been a, He's a good friend and he's a, he's a loyal, uh, loyal contributor to the podcast. And we appreciate all the good insight that he can bring to us on a number of topics. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, for his work behind the scenes, getting these podcasts edited and then out to you, the listeners. And then, of course, to you, the listeners, we thank you for joining us. We thank you for your time. We thank you for your support, passion and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation.